Amen. Good morning, everybody. Welcome uh, to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Like my brother Judge said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you on this brisk, cold Sunday morning to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who is visiting with us for the very first time. Uh, Also welcome to those of you who are engaging with us online. We are so very grateful for the benefit of technology so that you can join us online online when you're unable to join us uh, in person. And so happy Sunday and also happy Black History Month, everybody. This is a fantastic, yeah, this is a fantastic opportunity for us to study, uh, appreciate, and thank God for the rich heritage of uh, African-American history uh, and heritage in our country. And so I encourage you to lean in, learn something you didn't know, talk to your kids about it. This is a fantastic opportunity to lean in. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that at the outset. I have the privilege this morning, uh, as uh, Judge said, of concluding a teaching series that we've been in for the last several weeks, actually from the very beginning of the year, a teaching series that we've simply been calling Spiritual Disciplines. And each and every week we've been defining spiritual disciplines as spiritual practices that are deemed necessary for our spiritual formation, for our spiritual maturity. They are simply Uh, put in place to help us to continue to grow up in God. And so maybe you didn't know this, but your primary job as a believer is to continue to grow. It's much like our kids. We don't expect much of them, but for them to continue to grow, continue to progress, to continue to hit the marks and stages of maturity, the same is true for those of us who follow Jesus. These spiritual practices are designed to help us to continue to grow up and God, in many ways, uh, embracing the spiritual discipline deals with, both directly and indirectly, the fundamental barrier that stands between us and God, and that barrier is our sin. <clears throat> and so the spiritual disciplines are helpful and necessary spiritual tools to serve to help us decenter what we call the lesser nouns of our life, people and the places and the things that fight for that center position, that fight for our attention and affection. These spiritual disciplines are designed to unseat those so that we might place rightfully at the center of our life God and the things that pertain to life and godliness. And I'm super grateful for all the different voices that we get to hear from here at SSV. I'm so grateful that we have a deep bench of preachers and teachers, and I'm especially grateful and want to highlight the, the ladies who are uh, preaching each and every week, and uh, uh, Shannon, my wife Shannon, and, and Yvette went forth, and we even had Dominique and Lauren uh, on the uh, Wednesday morning devotions. I'm thankful <clears throat> um, that we are gifted, that I'm not the only voice that you get to hear. I hope you like hearing my voice every once in a while, but I'm grateful uh, for the diet of the word that we get and the different perspectives that, the, the, uh, that, that we get as we open this pulpit up to, to, to more and more voices. So I'm grateful that, for that. But in this series, we've uh, talked about generosity, spiritual discipline of generosity. We've talked about prayer and devotion. We've talked about confession, worship. Pastor David did an excellent job last week of challenging us concerning the spiritual discipline of fellowship and gathering as a Christian community. I want to continue and conclude this series this morning by talking about a very important, necessary spiritual discipline, the spiritual discipline of service. The spiritual discipline of service, serving others. Service is simply defined as an act of helping or doing work for someone, right? And this isn't a foreign concept to us, really, though, right? Because... We all love to get good service, don't we? 
We all love to get good service. We all love to be waited on and, and looked after. And what's true is we know good service when we see it. We know good service when we experience it, right? But many of us would confess that we struggle to consistently be good servants ourselves. Let me, let me back that up just a little bit. We know good service when we see it and experience it. We've come to, in fact, expect good service. And when we don't get it, and when we don't experience it, man, we're going to have a conversation with somebody. Get the manager out here right now. But what is also true is that we struggle, if we're honest, to consistently be ourselves good servants. And there's one reason why that's true, and that's because we are at the center of our lives. Isn't that true? We've staked at the center of our life. We put ourselves and our own interest, and in doing so, uh, we tend to overvalue being served, and we have a tendency, amen, to undervalue serving others. We overvalue being served, and we undervalue serving others. Now, this all gets disrupted when we encounter Jesus. It gets radically disrupted because it's hard to stay that way when you encounter Jesus. I didn't say it's impossible because many of us have achieved it. But it's harder to stay selfish and at the center of your own life when you encounter the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the character and the values of Jesus because Jesus has a way of confronting our selfishness. Because there is a mindfulness of others that comes with life in Christ. As one author puts it, the spiritual discipline of service involves the willful laying down of one's time, one's talent, one's treasure for the benefit of another. The spiritual discipline of service involves the willful laying down of one's time, one's talent, and treasure for the benefit of others. And if we're honest today, many of us will say, Pastor, I struggle struggle with that. And so this morning we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. And the text that we'll tackle today is super important text for a number of reasons. One, because Jesus is having this really precious teaching moment with uh, his disciples. And I don't know about you, but whenever I see Jesus having these sort of tender intensives, these teaching moments with his, with his disciples, I, I imagine myself at the Savior's feet, Right? I imagine myself in this story because, well, I know whenever the Lord is talking to the disciples, he's talking to us. And so he's having this precious teaching moment, and this teaching moment that he's having is serving to clear up some confusion concerning who Jesus really is and what Jesus has really come to do. And for us this morning, this lesson should clarify for his disciples and us who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. Now, I must say that Jesus was constantly reminding his disciples over and over why he'd come and what the future held for him. He was doing this over and over and over because for some reason the disciples weren't getting the fact that Jesus wasn't coming to be some big shot, but he was coming instead to suffer and die. But Jesus would say this over and over, and the guys just wouldn't get it. For example, Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus, it says, As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, 
He took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, will be betrayed to the leading priest and to the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Now, there are many more accounts like this where Jesus is schooling these guys, letting them know, just like clarifying. He's listening to them talk. They're asking him silly questions. He's like, bro, we already talked about this. And so yet he schools them again. He repeats it over and over because he sensed that they didn't quite grasp the seriousness of what was about to happen, nor did they fully understand that Jesus was going to be a different kind of king, a different kind of leader, a different kind of ruler. So as Jesus talked to them, and as he, they talked to Jesus, he picked up that they thought Jesus had come to be powerful, to throw his weight around in an earthly sense. As Jesus talked to them, and they talked back to Jesus, they got the sense that Jesus had come to be important. Somehow they concluded that Jesus had come to overthrow the Roman government and that Jesus, as he swagged around doing his Jesus thing, would seek to enjoy some of the perks and privileges of being the Savior King. They often misunderstood Jesus. But the more I look at this passage and others like it, and the more I see how often Jesus cleared up their misunderstanding, the more I find that their misunderstanding of who Jesus had come to be uh, was quite convenient. They would conveniently misunderstand Jesus over and over. My guess is they thought, hey, if Jesus has come to be a big deal, then maybe if we're with Jesus, maybe we could be a big deal too. Maybe they conveniently thought that, hey, Jesus came to be important Maybe by proximity, we could be important too. Jesus was powerful. Maybe if we were hanging around with him and we'd be seen around town with him, maybe doors will open. Doors might open for us too. Jesus got to enjoy the perks and privileges of being a hip influencer type. And maybe we might get some more followers on Instagram too. Their misunderstanding Jesus seems a little convenient. It's amazing how easy it is to misunderstand Jesus. And by misunderstand, I mean we make Jesus into what we want him to be. To put it a different way, we have a way of reading the scriptures that sees Jesus in a way that confirms or validates who we are. It's amazing to me how many mean, aggressive Christians can take to the same scriptures that we read and find Jesus to be aggressive and mean too. You ever see this? They love bringing up the money changers table where Jesus fashions a whip, right? And they say, hey, if you took at this passage and if you squint your left eye and turn your head just to the right, you can see that Jesus is just like us. Mean, he's aggressive, he's violent. The kingdom suffered violence. And the violence taken by force. That's not what that means. Christians that love money, they squint their left eye and turn to the other side. They can see in the scriptures that Jesus was rich. Man, they cast lots for his robe. They wouldn't do that if he was broke. 
Folks who value being minimalist see Jesus as a panhandling savior with nothing, shivering in the cold at night. I got a suggestion. Why don't we just let Jesus be Jesus? You don't got to read the scripture backwards and decode it. Jesus is regularly talking about who he was. Let's let Jesus be Jesus. Because at every turn, he was taking the opportunity to clarify that he didn't come to live a pampered life. He didn't come to be important and to enjoy the perks and privileges of this world. He came to die. He came to humble himself. He came to submit to God's will. He came to lay down his life. He came, in a word, to serve. He came to serve. So why does this matter to us today? Why should we pay any attention to this at all today? I'll tell you why. Because everything about this American life points us toward the up escalator of life. Whether you were born here or whether you're immigrated here, once you get here, it ain't, it don't take long for you to figure out that this American life and our American culture, steeped in consumerism, steeped in overvaluing the opinions of others, will always shine a light, will always point us to the up escalator of life. And what's up the up escalator? Man, there's some money up there. How much money? Well, more than I have right now. There's money. At the top of that escalator, you better climb it. What else is up there? The snacks of life are up the up escalator. Good old American exceptionalism is up at the top of that escalator. You better get up there quick. Respect and the admiration of your fellow man. It's up there. Influence. Power. And with that power comes more powerful friends to open more doors for you. Get up that up escalator. And guess what? Up there, that's folks up there ready to serve you. They don't tell you no up there. All your ideas are good ideas up there. All your jokes are funny up there. The up escalator. Anybody ever dream? You daydream? You fantasize about climbing that escalator? Don't lie. And then we meet Jesus. And then we start to walk around the kingdom and, and we understand that the kingdom economy is different. And in God's kingdom economy, the way up is down. There's nothing about the escalator that Jesus was on that, that pursued or valued all the trappings and snacks of life and money and influence and all those things. Jesus didn't pursue that. In his, in his economy, the way up is down. And so the kingdom economy points us not toward the up escalator, right, but toward the what? The down escalator. And here's what's true. This is why I'm spending so much time on this. This is why I'm setting the groundwork for what I talk about today. That your Christian life will not make sense to you unless you grasp this principle. The scriptures won't make sense. The dots won't connect. If you're trying to connect with Jesus on the up escalator, it just won't make sense. And Jesus wanted it to be abundantly clear that his life and the life he was calling his followers to was not the privileged life, riding up, but rather our life in partnership with Jesus means that we take the humble ride 
the lonely ride at times, the slower ride sometimes on the down escalator. Until today, we'll look at this important teaching in a message I'm simply calling service. We're looking at the spiritual discipline of service. I told you earlier, we'll be in Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 20. While you find that in your Bibles, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your example. I thank you, Lord, for the invitation to partner with you to extend your kingdom, to continue the ministry that you started. Father, we know that we can't join in this unless we're on that down escalator with you. Would you teach us this morning? Would you rewire us? Would you allow us this morning to be honest with ourselves and honest with you about the ways we struggle in this area? I'll put the goodies on the low shelf for all of us to grab a hold of today. Put power, Lord, on these words that you give me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your life might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Matthew chapter 20. I'm starting at verse 20. <clears throat> it reads as follows. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Verse 23, Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or who will sit on my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in the world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man, talking about himself, came not to be served but to serve. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. What a passage. What a text. This text is instructive. It's, in challenge, it's challenging. For many of us, it will be indicting. For others, it will be corrective. And so much more. This is a text that grabs you and, and, and won't turn you loose. We all lean in today because the Lord has something to say. It's a fitting text for the subject we're talking about, service, and it helps us understand who Jesus was, and it's helping us as Jesus' disciples or his followers or even those who are here who are far from the Lord. You're just looking into the window of faith. You're just kicking the tires. You're just trying to see what this is all about. This is for you as well. Jesus has got something to say. And I want to highlight a few things I see in this passage, and then I want to discuss some practical ways we can begin to walk this out and practice the spiritual discipline of service. The first thing we see in this text, text is a shameless request. Shameless, audacious request from the very outset. Mother of James and John, come with her sons to Jesus, kneels respectfully and says, 
in your kingdom, Lord, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right <coughs> and one on your left. It's a shameless request, isn't it? And I don't mean to throw any shade on mothers today. My mom is here. Hey, mom, I see you. But this sounds kind of something like a mom would say, wouldn't it? This seems like, you know, one of those things your mom would say because your mom just thinks you're great even when you're not that great. Now, my mom has good reason. <laughs> this isn't about me today. But you know mom doing, doing their mom thing. My boys are just great, Jesus. You're going to love them. They're smart. Uh, they're handsome. They're hardworking. Right? She probably gets out her phone and just says, <laughs> this is him. <laughs> the science fair. This is him. Little league. He got struck out at every at bat. But he looks real cute, doesn't he? She's coming with all this mom, mom energy. And she makes an audacious Requests for little Jimmy and little Johnny. I don't know about you, but my mind immediately wonders what they're doing in this moment. How are they, James and John, how are they experiencing this moment? And I've come up with maybe one of two options. Either they have turned red with embarrassment. And as their mother speaks to Jesus with this audacious request, they're behind her going, Jesus, just mom, mom just being mom. Please don't hold this against us. We did not encourage her to do this. Or they're smiling because they put her up to it. I don't want to take any liberties with this text, but as I read it, they came and they responded to Jesus as willing participants of this foolishness. Maybe waiting to see how the master would reply. Clearly, they didn't understand him. This is a, this is a cringe-worthy request. It's awful. But before we shake our heads at our dear brothers and their mothers, <laughs> we may need to remember something that I always try to teach you. And that is that whenever we're beholding the disciples in Scripture, we are looking into what? A mirror. Because they are us. We are them. We are looking into a mirror. We've got this, to some degree, in all of us. This sense of entitlement, this desire to be first, this desire to be important, this desire to be special, this desire to ride the up escalator is in all of us to some measure. It's in us. And if you say it's not, you don't know yourself as well as I do. It's in us. It's in me. I love to see my name on something. Let me just Google myself, see how many pages. <laughs> see how that song I wrote, see how it's doing on Spotify. How many churches are playing, Genesis? I want to see. Go somewhere and preach. Somebody tag you. This message changed my life. Well, of course. 
I'm just keeping it real today. So from time to time, I get to do some itinerant speaking and get to travel around. Lately, I've been taking my oldest boys with me just so they can carry my bag and you know, pay a few dollars to make sure I have water and a handkerchief. And they, I mean, they like it. Dad, can I, where are you going? Can I be your bag man? <laughs> a couple, couple weeks ago, we, we, were, I, we were at the big old church, huge church. And before I got there, a week before I got there, they called and said, hey, pastor, uh, are there any snacks uh, that you would want in the green room? Or we get you some snacks? I said, oh, we were fasting. I said, just, just have a few oranges in there. That's fine. I get to this church. They show me the green room behind the stage and big old bowl of oranges right there. Nice little reclining chair. Joe's losing his mind, right? He's, he's playing in the, the chair. It goes in a little mini fridge. Dad, can I drink these Red Bulls? And can I drink this Red Bull? I'll put that back. I'm in this green room. I said, I can get used to this. They don't have any oranges for me when I show up at SSV, man. Maybe talk to my, talk to my admin and make sure there's some oranges for me. Then after one of the services, we were praying for people and talking to people and talking to this one guy, and he was going a little long, and I shook his hand, and he took, a, he took a little while to let my hand go. And I get a tap on my shoulder. It's security. I said, Pastor, are you all right? <laughs> I'm about to fold this dude up for just holding my hand too long. And for, for a second, I thought, I could get used to this. Mike, you need to follow me around, man. Somebody get too close. <laughs> Check on me, man. I liked it too much. Say, so what's your point, preacher? It's in us. All of us. It's in us. And I say this so you don't get self-righteous and start pointing your fingers at the disciples because we're looking at us. Now, we know better than to ask the question this way. Can I sit on your right or your left? We know better to, to phrase it quite that way. But I would ask each of you to consider wh what version of this question are you asking Jesus? Maybe you don't want to sit on his right or his left, but in, in your life, maybe in ministry or in the kingdom, maybe in your vocational life, you, 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 you've asked Jesus for a, better, for a better hand to play. For a better seat. You want to enjoy more of the snacks of life, more of the perks and privileges you feel you've earned it. What version of this question, this audacious question, are you asking the Savior in your heart, if not in your prayers? And so this audacious request, this audacious request is met by Jesus with a bold a bold reply, excuse me, verse 22, but Jesus answered them by saying, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. And Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from the bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or left. My father has prepared those places for those he has chosen. So basically, Jesus uses a lot of words to say, nah, bro. No, ma'am, your children cannot sit on my right and on my left. Why? Because Jesus understood the dangers of aspiring to importance. 
rather than to, to a life of humility and service. Jesus understood the dangers. And considering where Jesus is headed to the cross, and considering what Jesus is inviting his guys, us, into to continue this dangerous, dirty, thankless ministry, that it's all but privileged, he can't afford us to be aspiring to importance rather than aspiring to the mission. The dirty, thankless, perilous mission, he can't afford for our eyes to be on importance and green rooms and oranges and security details rather than the mission, the people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We can't afford to take our eye off of that ball. And it's true that the fruit of what we see today and public failure after public failure of prominent leaders of all stripes, not all of it, but much of it is the fruit of riding the up escalator, isn't it? Too many perks and privileges. Many of our leaders, myself if I'm not careful, will be casualties of the dangerous ride up the up escalator. It's up there, people don't tell you no. They laugh when it's not funny. They say amen when you ain't making no sense at all. You fall out, although there's no power in you. Rubbing shoulders with celebrities and elites, being waited on, enjoying the trappings of success. It's a trap. Jesus understood the dangers of this sickness we have, and every chance he got, he wanted to clear it up. I've learned over these 12 years of planting this church, from, from day one, we were getting people through the door. We weren't even, I mean, we had 12 bodies in the room, and there were folks coming in, leading with their resume. They saw an opportunity. Oh, Pastor, nice to meet you. Hey, man, I do camp meetings. I do youth events. I, I DJ. I karaoke. I make popcorn. Like, everything. Whatever you need, Doc. I said, man, we just started church planning. I, I guess we got chairs to set up, and they need some help down in the children's room, and floors could use a good sweep in it. Where'd they go? They hardly ever stick around after that conversation. Hardly ever. And we really wanted to design this place so that folks would not come in and see pampered leaders and that they would not aspire to leadership because of the perks and the privileges and the close parking spaces. You, if you want to egg a leader's car, if you want to slash a leader's tires, find the ones that are the furthest from the door and you'll get a leader. The furthest. In fact, I couldn't even park in my normal furthest spot because some other leaders were parked there this morning. I was kind of salty. I had to park closer today. I don't want you to get the wrong idea about me. The spots were taken. 
I don't want you aspiring to be important. You're going to have influence around here. It's because you get here early and you leave late. I'm not talking in a wacky, overworked type of sense. But the way up here is down. Not because I say so, but because Jesus says so. And so Jesus has to set this straight. And so he offers a clarification. So y'all still don't seem to get this. And so he calls them together, verse 25, says, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. It doesn't matter how high you go. You don't ever ascend to a place in the kingdom Will you stop serving? And sometimes we have to be reminded of that, don't we? I got back from my trip this week, and I got a text from, uh, from my wife and Mandy, who were stewarding so faithfully our snow shoveling ministry. They were running around like crazy. Give them a hand, by the way. <laughs> Dispatching our teams and answering phones and calling our seniors back. And so when I got off the plane, I got a text. They had a few addresses for me. <laughs> and the thought crossed my mind. I wish I could say it was a fleeting thought, but it didn't fleet. It, <laughs> it sashayed across my mind. I'm sure there's a pastor card in my wallet that I can play maybe to get out of this. Now, if I were dealing with somebody other than my wife and other than my administrative assistant, who is not impressed with me at all, I might have been able to get out of it. But that's not what we do here. So me and the kids picked the kids up from school, went home, got the snowblower and the shovel, and we went and we served. Because that's what we do. And they probably would have laughed at me if I tried to play my card, right? But that's what we do. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Among you, it may be different. Among you, please kind of, he says, it will be different. This doesn't come in any other color. It will be different. He said, just because you're going to be at the spearhead of extending the kingdom and you are going to be deciding who leads and who doesn't, who has influence and who doesn't, just so you know if somebody wants to be a leader, see how well they serve. Somebody wants to be first, which is usually a bad sign. Jesus said, make him your slave. I'm telling you, man, Black History Month, I don't like that word. I bristle every time I see slave in the scriptures, but, but I get the idea. You will be different. Since we're naturally wired to pursue importance and to be served, you will be different. Verse 28, for the Son of Man. Jesus says, even the Son of Man, the Messiah, the incarnate deity, the word made flesh, third, one-third of the Trinity, 
came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as ransom for many. For many. Jesus says, in short, I came not to be served, but to serve. And if you're going to be with me, this is how we roll. I came not to be served, but to serve. And if you're going to roll with me, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. Now, how do we walk this out? If you've been tracking with this over the course of this series, you're noticing a pattern that emerges here as we talk about these spiritual disciplines. There is a thread that runs through, through this series, and the thread, at least one of them, is what we're calling you to, what Jesus is calling us to, are hard things. And I'm constantly, as a pastor, talking to people who I have to remind them, hey, yes, yes. It's hard. It's a discipline. Yeah, I know you got more month than money, but giving is a discipline. I know you want the latest sneakers, and I know you want the edges of your life for yourself, but this is, this is a discipline. It's hard. It's challenging. It's unnatural. We don't have a whole lot of dexterity. We don't have a lot of muscle memory. Listen, you're, it's hard. And the, and the only way that you get better at hard things is to do hard things. The only way you gain a little bit more swagger, a little more dexterity, a little more comfort, the, the only way you, you routinize that which is not routine is you got to schedule it. Amen. The only way to be more generous is to be generous. To do generous things. The only way to have more dexterity and comfort at praying is to schedule more prayer. The only way to enter a rhythm of confession, as our dear sister Yvette told, is to, to, to schedule a rhythm of confession. Only way to become better at worship is to schedule it. Fellowship is scheduled. That means when I feel like it, I'm showing up to worship. I'm showing up to small group. When I feel like it, and when I don't feel like it, I'm leaning into these spiritual disciplines. I must schedule it. And the same is true when it comes to serving. We've said this a couple of times. You say, Pastor, I'm just not naturally a servant. That's good. But you know how to do servant things. Sometimes the doing trains our heart. And sometimes the activity and the discipline bends our hearts toward the will of God in a way that nothing else, nothing else can. And so when it specifically comes to service, there's four specific areas of life that I want to highlight really, really quick where this spiritual discipline is supposed to show up. As deeply unspiritual as it might seem, the first place is your address, where you live. I've come to believe that serving lots of other places, being humble lots of other places, 
without being first humble to the people who know you best and who experience you the most and has to put up with your raggedy self, really doesn't matter. You know, you, you, you see me when I'm, when my, when I'm my most collected. Well, you see this, these are notes. I'm, I'm my most prepared when you see me. And so I appreciate the admiration and respect, but when the folk who live with me who see me raw and uncut, like, I want them to respect me. I want them to see me walking this talk. And so if you're not serving at home, I don't care where else you're serving, you're not doing it right. If your spouse isn't getting the royal treatment, You're serving everybody else, and she can't get you to, she can't get you to put up a, you know, one of those sticky hooks, you know, to hang a... Don't look at me. <laughs> the Holy Spirit told me. I said, I'm going to put the toilet in this week. Just leave it alone. <laughs> I felt something in my spirit. Something wasn't right. Parents, we're called to serve our children. In fact, their deepest spiritual formation on these subjects will not happen in their student ministry rooms, will not happen in their classrooms, won't happen as they hear the preacher preach. This is supplemental. The spiritual formation happens in your house. Roommates. I know our students are in here, siblings, like, this, this isn't for the grown-ups. Just for the grown-ups, I should say. Like, how will you serve it in your house? When you got a problem every time, it's your time to turn. Like, my kids are always surprised about stuff they do every day. Like, that's your chore, like, every day. And, like, it's on the, it's on the wall, like, Oh, you got an attitude. Like, this is, you eat here, why, why shouldn't you wash the plate? You wore those clothes, like, why shouldn't you wash them? So I'm not just talking about, like, doing the task. I'm talking about doing it with, like, a cooperative spirit, understanding that you haven't paid for anything. Let me move off of this. <laughs> <laughs> Spiritual formation happens in your house. If you ain't serving at home, you're not doing it right. Work. Work. Many of us spend so many waking hours at work, and this is a super important realm where you work. Is it just me, or is, is the service industry, like, is it going the wrong way? Listen, my man, um, we asked for cheap hamburger, no cheese. But can you just take, can't you just take it off? I said, well, let me see the manager, man. The 13-year-old manager comes, and I go, you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to complain to corporate. The service industry is terrible, and, and, and we have 
slid the wrong direction. But I, I personally believe that Christians ought to be the best employees. I just feel like full of the Spirit of God, representing Christ wherever we go. I feel like if Jesus is saying like to just to be a servant like normally for free, what might he expect of you if somebody is paying you to be a servant? And I say this knowing that we have been discipled toward laziness and toward beating the system because of the pandemic and COVID. And it's just true that some of us you need to write our bosses a check for, for, the, for the time that we've stolen. And maybe take some of those staplers back. Christians ought to be the best workers. You think your boss wants to come to your church and he catches you on your phone all day? Or she catches you on your phone all day? Your productivity is low. Do you think that honors the Lord? Put it simply, we get, we get paid to serve at work, and God is not pleased when we don't. And I don't know. I mean, we got teachers, we got police officers, we got everything you can think of. We got it in here. And so... You are tasked to show up in whatever way is appropriate. I believe that the Lord will challenge us to set the bar for productivity and servanthood and not live minimums at work. Third place is your church. Now, I want to take my time with this one, but I don't have that much time. So I'm going to choose my words real carefully. How do you show up here? There's a communal reality to how we're supposed to show up and care for one another. When you come into this family, there is a, there's a mutual exchange of community and care. And what's true is that far too many people are content with church being a one-way street. We come to church like we go to Wendy's. We go to church like we go to Meyer. We, we go to church like we go to the mall. Like, what can I get up out of here? What, what am I getting out of it? And, and we're, we're in the midst of a pandemic. That as I've said, I've not been quieted about the fact that this pandemic has discipled us towards some bad patterns. And some of us say, you know what? I can get the service at home. And you can, thanks to our tech crew back there. But the service can't get you at home. The service can't get you at home. You can scarcely serve from home unless you're like our rock star uh, first impressions coordinator, Michelle Halliburton, who hasn't been in this building, by the way, since COVID because of concerns regarding COVID. But she is leading her team, recruiting, and everything from home. Most of us are not Michelle Halliburton. <laughs> and yes, you can get the service at home. 
but you don't get to serve at home. You say, how do I know, preacher, if I'm doing this right? Come with a little test. Imagine you walk out of this door. And as you step out, a pie truck comes out of nowhere and takes you to glory. Would there be a hole to fill because you are gone? Maybe the pie truck was too violent. Aliens suck you into the clouds. <laughs> and you never show up here again. Other than the fact that we love you and we like you and we would miss you, would we have to scramble at all to cover what you were doing here? Sadly, many of you could leave here today and there would be no hole to fill. That is spiritually criminal. Now, I understand that some people are in places where it's all they could do. They're having mental health struggles. They're having all kinds of things. It's all they can do to drag themselves in here. And if that is you, just sit there and receive. I promise you I'm not talking to you right now. But for you other people, you should be making an impact. You should leave a hole if you leave. I want it to be quiet. I want it to be a little awkward. It should be. This is your family. This is where you eat. It is preposterous not to, at some point, wash a dish or two. Encourage somebody else. You understand what I'm saying? Do you leave a hole? Now, let me just say, the vast, vast majority of you are serving fantastically, and we are so grateful for you. In fact, we have a little gift for you today. Mandy, would you? Today, if you serve in any capacity, you lead a small group, you serve in tech, anything, we got a shirt for you. And on the back it says, on the back it says, serve team, right? And so, yeah, COVID has canceled our... COVID has canceled our, uh, or postponed our celebration, our volunteer fair and all that sort of stuff. And so we're, that's still, we've just punted it down the road. But we just want to say thank you. Uh, if you serve in any capacity, and guess this, if you're signing up to serve someplace this, today, <laughs> we got a shirt for you too. Now don't take, don't take our shirts and, right? Where's your team? Y'all can come up. I'm over my time. Also, we put together a packet that's on the back welcome table, uh, information table. Every possible opportunity to serve in this church, there's a packet that details all the different jobs, who you've got to contact. Listen, it's, it's, it's rich with information, and it's actionable, right? Look through that packet, figure out where your gifts are, figure out what, where there's a need, and email the person today. Packets are back there. You can also find it on our website under the About section about us, and that complete packet is online. Check it out today because we, we expect. Like this would be a place where you can get spiritually formed toward serving 
and caring for one another. And the final, the final place, the final area of life where you're expected to serve is everywhere else. <laughs> Wherever you happen to be. Talked about the aliens just sucking you into the cloud. If they dropped you on Mars, you cut your breath. You got to be looking to serve. I know this sounds like preacher talk. I know this sounds like that's what the pastor is supposed to say. But I just have it on good authority that servants, like generous people, they just have the best lives. Can you imagine how good your life has to be? How content you will be in life? How fulfilled you'll be in life if, if you can take your eyes off yourself and face your energy and your talent and your time outward? It, it is a beautiful destination to land as a human. Students, if you're listening to me, listen, I know it doesn't seem that way in your world. That the mean kids and the rich kids, they, they seem to have the best life. But listen, that don't scale. That doesn't scale. Fast forward the tape. Who's winning in life? The servants. Who's winning in life? Who, who's got peace with God and peace with, 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 with fellow man? It's the servants. It's the generous folk. It's the humble. It's the meek. So wherever I'm at, man, like, gee, I'm an ambassador. I'm God's inside man. Wherever I am, there's no, there's no room I'm in where I can turn this off. Or I, or I should be able to turn it off. There's no place I can go. There's no altitude of success. No degree of importance. If your Savior can wash feet, who are you? The Son of Man came not to be served. Why can't you serve at home, at work, here, and every place else? May the Spirit fill you this week so you can get some reps. Why don't you stand with me as we pray, if you can. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your example. I thank you, Lord, for how patient you are and how willing you are to explain this to us over and over and over and over and over. I thank you for this church. ways you've challenged us to be your hands and feet in this community. Teach us to serve. Give us some reps. And over time, Lord, may this just be the posture of our heart. May this just be our instinct. In Jesus' name. Amen.